Welcome to this Stroke Journey podcast, brought to you by the National Stroke Education Center at the University of Cincinnati, your premier source for comprehensive diagnostic and therapeutic stroke education from the pre-hospital and emergency settings through the ICU and rehabilitation. Please welcome today's host, Dr. William Knight. Hello. My name is Bill Knight from the University of Cincinnati. Today, I'm privileged to be speaking with one of my friends and colleagues, Dr. Natalie Kreitzer, another triple threat trained physician from the University of Cincinnati. Dr. Kreitzer is trained in emergency medicine, neurocritical care, and the management of stroke patients. Today, we're gonna be discussing a little bit of basic statistics and understanding some of the stroke trials uh, that exist that pertain to emergency medicine physicians. Good morning, Natalie. Good morning. The first question I have to lay into some of the basic statistics is really, I think, getting to the root of two very simple statistics that are, that are commonly reported in stroke trials, the number needed to treat and number needed to harm. Briefly, could you explain what the number needed to treat is? Yeah, absolutely. So the number needed to treat, um, this is a common way that we sort of communicate the effectiveness of any type of an intervention. So it's the inverse of the absolute risk reduction. Um, So that's one divided by the incidence in the control group minus the incidence in the treatment group. Now in stroke specifically, um, we're looking at the incidence of a good outcome when a patient receives TPA. Um, So the ideal number needed to treat with any kind of an intervention, of course, is going to be one. Of course, that's not realistic. That would mean everybody improves with treatment and no one improves with control. So what we we know about the TPA data, um, typically derived from the NINS2 trial that came out in 1995, the published number needed to treat was based on the number of patients that you had to give IV TPA to compared to the control group who ended up with a modified Rankin score of zero or one at three months. And that number that was published was 8.3. So how does that compare to then, for example, the, the number needed to harm? When we're comparing that, that benefit versus the risk of TPA or Alteplase, for example, what, what is the number needed to harm specifically compared to a number needed to treat? Yeah, so the number needed to harm, um, that's also a pretty commonly described statistic, and that is the inverse of the absolute risk increase. So that means it's one divided by the incidence of a bad outcome in the exposed minus the incidence in the control. Now for IV TPA, that was chosen to be symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage, which could either result in poor neurologic outcome versus death. In the 1995 NINS trial, that number was about 6% of patients. So we typically think of that as about 1 in 15 of those people had a symptomatic ICH um, or died because of the IV TPA. Um, So when you use that math and look at that inverse of the absolute risk increase um, inverse, then that number um, needed to harm is about 18.5. So commonly when we talk about the different benefits and risks of TPA for stroke, it's the, as you referenced, the number of patients that symptomatically improve or a reduction in disability for stroke, and then that, that focus on harm, that symptomatic intracranial hemorrhage. When we think of this in terms of the number needed to treat and number needed to harm, is, is the use of those specific numbers or statistics for TPA 
useful or do you find it misleading when we speak to emergency medicine for acute stroke care? I actually think it can be quite misleading and there's several reasons for this. So probably the biggest reason is that all patients don't have the same increased risk of having um, an intracerebral hemorrhage or some bad outcome from IVTPA. So we know that there's certain risk factors that are associated with hemorrhage and these are things like a higher NIH stroke scale, higher glucose, hypertension, congestive heart failure, renal impairment, diabetes, ischemic heart disease, AFib, um, people who've had an infarct on imaging or they've got a previous MRI that shows a lot of micro hemorrhages. So all patients aren't equal when they receive IVTPA. And then secondly, like you mentioned, when we talk about a reduction in disability as opposed to just symptomatic ICH, there was an interesting analysis that Jeff Saver had done where they looked specifically at that question. So instead of looking at the number needed to treat to get a modified Rankin score of zero or one, which means that you're pretty um, perfect, you don't really have much symptoms from your stroke whatsoever, and certainly no disability. That's pretty unlikely to happen if you've um, got a patient that you're treating with a very severe stroke. So what they did in this analysis was, was simply look at the number of people you needed to treat with IVTPA to simply move them up one point in the modified Rankin score at three months. And that number is only 3.1. Now, if you're suddenly looking at the time that you're giving them IVTPA, patients who get it quicker are going to have a much lower number needed to treat when you think about the modified Rankin score just moving up one point as a good outcome. And the longer that you extend that time window, as we know TPA doesn't work as effectively when given farther out, that number increases to much higher. Oh, that's hugely helpful. I, I agree. We've, we've struggled in terms of understanding that that risk and benefit ratio for TPA applying to all comers and certainly boiling it down to that, that risk of symptomatic improvement versus that symptomatic harm to patients uh, and then how we apply the different trials and outcomes and then specifically a, a good understanding of the number needed to treat and harm has been hugely helpful. Natalie, one more question. Is, are there any more elements or considerations for the number needed to harm, particularly for alteplase in stroke? Yes, so the number needed to harm, as I mentioned previously, um, was defined based on the number of patients in the NINS-2 trial who had a symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage, um, and that was patients who had an ICH plus neurologic worsening or death, and that number was 6%, so the number needed to harm quoted from that is about 18.5. Now, if we think in context of which patients are probably at a more increased likelihood of doing poorly than those who might do well, thinking about their risk factors and how severe their strokes are, we can sort of define that and think about it maybe a little bit differently. So there was an analysis that, um, as I mentioned before, Jeff Saver had done where they looked at the number needed to treat and defined it as somebody who improved on the modified Rankin scale by one point using an ordinal scale. Now, they did the same thing with the number needed to harm across the strata of modified Rankin scale. So what they did was defined the number needed to harm as worsening by one or more points on the modified Rankin scale on the TPA group versus the placebo group. And what that number is, is 30.1. So basically saying that 
you know, your patient with a severe stroke is um, going to be more likely to have the poor outcome um, than the one who probably doesn't have as bad of a stroke. Now, if you consider those stratified outcomes over time, you know, time to getting TPA, that number goes up even more and more um, because, as we know, giving IV TPA in the earlier time frames is more effective than the later time frames. Fascinating. So all of this is, is far more nuanced than just looking at single individual numbers for a particular drug across particularly a spectrum of a disease like stroke, which has variable presentations based on time, age, disability, severity of the stroke, etc. So that, that, that is hugely helpful. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. And this has been the National Stroke Educational Center. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. This Stroke Journey podcast is a collaboration between the National Stroke Education Center, MCRAIG International, and MedEd on the go. For more comprehensive, high-quality educational resources for healthcare professionals, please visit strokejourney.com.